I actually made co-host today. I'm flattered. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. Did a good job. You lobbied hard. You worked worked your way up. I don't know how I ever, how I ever, how I lost my position as co-host, but, but I mean, okay, we'll take it. It's the first two people here. I was here two minutes later than you today, and therefore you are the co-host. Uh, okay. Yeah. With more, with more, uh, I get more responsibility now, right? I get more power, but I also get more responsibility now. Yeah. Now you have to add people, remove people you don't like. So, I mean, you're gonna be, you're gonna be just have that power flowing through you. You have to be is, careful. Is Mario, is Mario it. here today or is he uh, biohacking or warmongering? Both. 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 Okay. All three. Yeah. All three. John, how does it, Mario, feel, it John, how does it feel to be the reason we changed the title of the space to be non more uh -huh. negative? I am completely honored. You know, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate everything you do and uh, happy to be a part of it all. Well, whoa, thanks whoa, for whoa, ruining whoa, it. Whoa, it was a. Whoa, what is it, Ran? What have I missed you? What, what, is there tether fad again? Yes, Ran. Yes, Scott messaging me before the show. He's like, Mario, there's tether fad. I'm like, again? He's like, it's John Reed Stark. I'm like, great. <laughs> I said, we've got John. He just wrote this. He just wrote this tweet. There we go. We're done. Uh, it was a, right. it was a good tweet, though, and I've got a lot of respect for John. I think it's genuinely worth discussing. <laughs> Read the tweet. Let, 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 let's get it out of the way. You, you know, every every uh, top of cycle, even mini cycle, is always marked by tether fudge. So let's declare an end to this cycle just before you 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 read the the, the thing. It happens every top of every mini cycle. Um, so Mario, with that, you can go ahead. Read us the tweet. Uh, I'll read the tweet. Let me open it up again. Hold on, Scott sent it to me. But actually, I'll let John explain instead of me reading what he wrote. Um, but I think it's a, a, a genuinely a, a point worth discussing. And he points out, you know, outside of crypto, those things would be very concerning. But for some reason in crypto, we think it's not even worth discussing. We just dismiss it as FUD. I'm not worried about Tether, but I also don't think we should just dismiss the concerns that John will, will mention now. John? Well, I just look at it. You know, I, I was on CNBC last week, and there was a lot of talk about my appearance there. And I just look at things at this Sam Bankman-Fried trial very differently. And uh, Jacob Silverman wrote this incredible article for The Nation, which I linked to there. And I don't know if anybody knows Jacob. He's a reporter, completely objective, from Bloomberg. And uh, he actually went to El Salvador with Ben McKenzie, and he wrote a book with Ben McKenzie about crypto called Easy Money. And they spent three or four weeks in El Salvador just traveling around trying to figure out what the truth was about Bitcoin so, and El Salvador. And his article, I think, really hits a nail on the head, and it's what I said on CNBC, is that the Sam Bankman-Fried verdict is, is not the end of the story. And I saw a lot of people you know, including my good friend, Anthony Scaramucci, saying, look, this is just an aberration and we're good. We're glad that this is all behind us and now we can go and do wonderful things with Coinbase and with Binance and all the, the great companies that are still out there. And I found it amazing that the, the journalists at CNBC never said anything like, well, you know, Binance has been sued for fraud by the SEC and by the CFTC. And Coinbase has essentially been sued for operating without a license. And Tether, there's $36 billion worth of Tether that flowed out of Alameda and back and forth 
that no one has any idea about. And the prosecutors did a nice job of keeping all of that out of the trial because it would have made it a lot more complex. So they kept it simple, which is what I would have done. And I've done a lot of securities fraud trials in, in my career, my 35 years. And I would have done the same thing. It's just simple thievery and just a simple grift. But there's a lot more to it. And I don't look at it as tether fud. You know, Mario, I'm completely objective. I don't have any stake in this game. But these are very serious things that are going on with Tether, and there's absolutely no transparency. And the idea that there's but hold on no, a second. no other reliable information hold should on bother everyone. Let's, let's, let's not mix two things here. So the fact you're mixing the fact that Tether may or may not be backed, and I think by now, I think the market's pretty comfortable that not only is Tether backed, but actually Tether is now over Overbacked with treasuries and audited and audited. Well, yeah. and they just audited. Audit. Yeah. So, so, so I think let's not mix the fact that you know. I think, admittedly, Tether had in the past been unbacked for certain periods of time. We know that everyone knows that there was actually a there was a case around that. I think uh, where the New York Attorney General actually you know uh, told them that they had to make right on certain things. But let's not mix that with the inflows and outflows of USDT stablecoins out of FTX. And now I'm going to argue that the inflows and outflows of USDT-based stablecoins is not really anything to do with Tether as much as it has to do with the people that were moving it in and out. Just like if Scott and I trade US dollars in return for drugs or weapons or whatever else, it's not the dollar that's at, at fault. It's the, two, it's the two people that are trading it. Now, that said, I do know that there is some, something in U.S. law which uh, says that if you're using the dollar, then they can basically implicate you for the crime because you used the dollar to do it. But, I mean, that, that, that for me is a big stretch. I just don't see it that way. I look at look at. Well, tell me how you see it. FTX. Tell me how you see it. Tell me how you see it. Of course, of course, I will. I don't see any transparency into what Tether is doing. I don't see no, but, anybody but using. But, but 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 that's audited. Audited. Wait, tell me tell me about the audit. Go ahead, explain the audit to me. Scott, maybe you want to jump in here since you interviewed Paolo after the audit. Okay, what audit by whom? Um, yeah, I need to. I need to look up the name. So, so they had they had an yeah, MHA came in. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But MHA came in was the initial auditor, and then a, a year or two ago, they switched. I'm just reading here of of, uh, of a website. Hold on, Tiger might know more details on this. Let me bring him up. Then BDO Italia um, was the next auditor, so which is a more credible auditor. I'm just googling it now, trying I mean, to research. I mean, regardless, yeah, regardless, BDO just did their audit. They just had their Q3 attestation, which just came out, and it was BDO that did the Wait. full audit of their of their backing. No, that's not a full audit. That's an I don't. I don't agree yeah. at all. I don't think these snapshots yeah. are the an audit. Look, yeah, look, an attestation. Again, okay, look. Again, can I can I finish my yeah, statement here? So here's the thing. Thank you. Thank you. So here's the thing about audits. You know, think of it like, and again, I've studied audits. I've taught law and finance for 20 years at Georgetown Law School and Duke Law School. I was at the SEC for 20 years in the enforcement division looking closely at audited financials. So I know exactly there's, what to look for. No, John, John, who do you say? I'm going to give you some information as you say this. There is, I don't think there is an audit for, there's an attestation, but no audit thank for you, Tether. Thank you. So let me explain the difference between those two. First of all, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, the PCAOB, has put out some specific guidance about saying how these attestations are complete nonsense and garbage and should never be relied upon. Okay, here's why. Think of it this way. If you own a house, right, like I do, okay, you own a house and you decide, okay, I'd like to get a mortgage on this house. 
I like to pull out $100,000, maybe pay for my kid's schooling or something like that. So you call the bank and you say, okay, bank, you know, I'd like to uh, borrow $100,000 on this house. The bank's going to give you a financial colonoscopy like you've never experienced before. And they're going to look at your house. They're going to ask you for all your financial statements for the last five years, all your bank statements, anything you owe. They're going to ask you about every single financial asset that you have, every single liability you have. And they're going to give you an exhaustive questionnaire about all that. Then they're going to send an appraiser to your house. And you're going to have to let that appraiser in. You're going to pay for that appraiser. You're going to let that appraiser in, and they're going to look at every nook and cranny of your house. They're going to look at everything about the soil, everything about the neighborhood, and they're going to go through with a fine-tooth comb everything that's going on with respect to your house. And those two things, the bank is not going to loan you any money if you do that. Now, the attestation or proof of reserves audits or whatever you want to call them are just a snapshot. So the, the analogy in that context that I just explained would be, saying to the bank, I'm not going to let you see all my financials. I'm not going to let you into my house. You can you can take a look at the satellite photo of my house and make your decision based on that. And if the PCAOB, an independent body, okay, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, tells you that these audits are not reliable and are not to be relied upon and are nonsense and garbage, then you have to listen to that. And what's so hard about these audits? Okay, I've been, again, in this business for 35 years. What is so hard about opening up all of your doors, opening up all of your books and saying, you know, and, and going to any big accounting firm that would love the business? Remember, I also ran the DC office of a very large data breach response firm. And turning it away an engagement that would be worth Millions and millions of dollars is not anything so, I would ever want to do. So why isn't any big accounting firm saying, you know, hey, John, let me, we'll do let it me for you. And the, the answer John, is that they're, they're told that it's because it's too complex. It's not complex. John, let me, let me maybe, Looking at let financial me, statements is easy. Go ahead, Ron. Sorry. Let me interrupt you just for a second. Um, what you're talking about is something that's been spoken about around Tether for since I got into crypto, which is 2016 or 2015 or whenever it was. <clears throat> Everyone's had the same the same issue regarding the order that the stations, whether they're fully backed or not. Question is what's different now? Like, I, I mean, has anything changed now? Is, is, is there any reason to be worried about this now? Or is this the same? But is it, uh, Ron, I'll answer, I'll answer that one. Isn't that the concerning part that nothing has changed that after all these years and the space maturing to where it is today, they still don't have an audit? I mean, yes, but on the other hand, they don't owe you any obligation to be audited. They're not a public company. There's no reason. I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here. You know, um, they have there has been an attestation. But it makes but it makes business sense to audit if there's, there's so much fud around oh, them listen, all the time. Then it makes sense. listen. If, of course, if it you don't does. like of if you don't like does. their if it, if you don't like their attestation, use another stablecoin. If you do like their attestation, don't use another stablecoin. It's, it's, no, uh, I, I agree. Like, I agree with you. I think we're analyzing how cons true, yeah, true. But I'm just saying it's, it's, what I'm trying to understand is why now are we talking about this? Has something happened? Has anything changed since the last 852 times that we've had exactly the same conversation? That's all but, I'm asking. Absolutely, things have changed. Every day it gets harder and harder and it gets clearer and clearer. The SEC now has a specialized crypto unit 
that's bigger than any other crypto unit they've been doing. But this has got nothing to do with the SEC. DOJ. This has got nothing to do with the SEC. Zero to do with the SEC. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let it's me not security. It's not domiciled in the United let, States. Okay, you, you can't, let me finish. You can't everybody works United together. States. Ron, everybody works together gathering their facts. And if the SEC discovers something about Tether, whether they do something about it or whether they whether they refer it to the FBI agents who were embedded in the crypto unit, like they were embedded in my unit when I was chief of the Office of Internet Enforcement. The SEC is in the fraud detection business, just like FINRA is. So saying that it's not their jurisdiction doesn't mean they might not investigate and find facts along these lines. Now, you look at DOJ. I mean, the reality is that until criminal cases are brought, then most of these people look at the SEC like a glorified parking ticket. In fact, Cameron Winklevoss said as much. And look at Paul Graywall. I was speaking at a Federal Reserve conference on fintech, and he was on the panel before me talking about it as, as, as a representative of everything that's right in crypto. And he's one of the primary architects of a business that's being charged by the SEC for operating unlawfully as an exchange, as a clearing firm, and as a broker-dealer. So we're in an upside-down world here. Now, DOJ now has this, where, where it just doesn't matter. These SEC cases just don't matter to anybody. And um, and that's, you know, again, that's how they treat it. It's regulatory arbitrage. Let's keep it going for as long as we can. But the criminal prosecutors, that stuff matters. And the FTX case shows never in the history of financial reporting fraud, of financial white-collar securities crime cases, has there been a case like FTX where, first of all, you have incredible access to senior executives who all made deals. So you get a roadmap drawn by then. You had incredible access to all the documents. You had a legion of forensic investigators at the prosecutor's disposal. They could call any time they wanted over at FTX and say, bring over all those documents and explain what you found. And they're billing, you know, one and a half million dollars a day to FTX. So they're incentivized to provide that information to the government. So you had this case that really brought all of this to light. The evidence was overwhelming. And then you had, of course, SBF's diarrhea of the mouth, where he just talked and talked and talked and made all sorts of impeachable statements and gave off all kinds of inculpatory information that made cross-examination a cakewalk when he actually decided to testify. So you have an overwhelming How is evidence. this related to Tether? How is this related I'll tell you to exactly how it's related, because... All of these people are cooperating. And when DOJ, and I've been in the room for lots of these discussions, I was a federal criminal prosecutor as well. When you're in the room and you're talking to these witnesses and you start telling them what the potential consequences are for not cooperating and how they might be named as a defendant any day, they start cooperating. So that this is one of the first cases that has brought to light DOJ techniques, which is to get all these people to cooperate and then bring the case when they've got their ducks in a row to such an extent that their victory is overwhelming. So I look at it like, Tether, just because this con has gone on for years does not mean that it's become not a con anymore. But why is it a con? Hold on, I don't understand why it's a con. Why is it a con? It's a, it's a, because, it's a these, because these attestations are not audits. You're all talking like they're audits. The con, you the con, John, the, the, the con, the con, the con, yeah, yeah exactly. The, the, it's a con, it's not a con. Objectively speaking, but it's a con because it gives us that false sense of security. When John, all of us thought they had an audit. Like let's let's, be, let's no, no, be real, hold guys. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. First of all, first of all, do your own research. It was an attestation, not an audit. Number two, if you don't like them, there are many other stable coins in the market. You're welcome to use a stable coin. 
What you're saying is that the market is wrong. You're saying that, it, that right now the market is bashing USDC, is bashing USDC market cap and is, is, is exploding USDT market cap. And the reason why they're doing it is because most players in crypto don't want to have anything to do with the United States. And unfortunately for Circle, USDC is domiciled in the United States. And so people are saying, listen, we don't really want to be involved in anything to do with the United States. Tether has... The, 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 the two arguments you made, but Rand, Rand, sorry, just the two arguments you make. There's another, there's another stable coin you could use. You could say this, make that same argument to FTX. Hey, if you don't like FTX, just use another exchange. No, I think it's, it's important to dig into those concerns, and 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 they, they are valid concerns. And then the second point is just, is the I market just, is wrong. Just, the market was wrong about FTT. I, I just don't know if we need to deal with those concerns now because we dealt with them eight hundred thousand times in the past, and every time we get to the same point, like. It, Unless something fundamentally changes or someone has a, 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 a new bit of information that, that maybe shows that Tether is lying about it at this station, we're just going to get to the same wait, point that we've been in for the last wait a minute. five years. Ron, the New York Attorney General found that Tether lied about its asset reserves and the company has admitted in That's legal filings it. that it lends out tokens without receiving money in return. Why are they not allowed to, if they're doing the right thing, why are they not allowed to do business in New York? Exactly. I mean, because, exactly. That's, exactly. You know, because, that, because that's how the U.S. legal system works. You, you, they no, no, no. Look, they I, made you, my business, I made my bones in this business. Seeing let me ask flags, you something okay? else. Ron, this let, is let how ask. you look at investing. You look for red flags. Okay, and there are so many red flags about Tether, so many red flags about Binance, and they just become more and more glaring. Can I ask you, John? Can I ask you a question? I just don't see it. Go ahead, John. Let me let me ask you a question. You're talking about red flags. So Binance did have red flags, and we all agree they might have done things not above board, but we also agree that they've changed their ways and they've kind of made up for those mistakes. Do you think Tether is more likely to be in that camp than the camp where they're still doing the wrong thing, where red flags were there, they addressed them as they matured, and they're no longer there? Now, I'm not saying it's not worth to question them, but do you think this is a more likely scenario than the red flags persist and you should still be concerned? Well, first off, I don't think Binance has changed their ways. They have they have Noah Perlman as their chief compliance person, and he's a responsible guy. He's a former uh, Eastern District of New York assistant U.S. attorney. He's still there. Everybody else has left. They're in the midst of a massive, the, the largest asset freeze by the SEC of a financial firm in the history of the SEC. Binance U.S. specifically or Binance? Binance. Well, Binance U.S., but it's, it's all tied together. You can't, you know, you're parsing things that really don't deserve that kind of parsing. It's, it's, a, it's a hornet's nest. It's a cesspool. You read the CFTC complaint, you see a massive market manipulation orchestration. It's in the complaint, not in the pleadings, not in the later pleadings. You're seeing a vivid depiction of a market manipulation scheme firsthand. You're reading emails, you're reading texts, you're reading signal chats. The SEC case is the same, 100 pages, where they get the extraordinary relief of an asset freeze. That means you're more likely to succeed on the merits than you are not to succeed. So that's what Binance. So I don't think any of these companies have changed their ways. They've just continued to bark. They've continued to turn victims into victimizers. You have people on this call saying they've already been audited. They haven't been audited. Okay. An attestation is not an audit. It's a ruse used to, to deceive people into an audit. Look at Voyager. Look at all the ways that Voyager pretended to have FDIC insurance without really saying it exactly. So, you know, when you look at the way these companies operate and how flip they are, and they're obviously, they're never inspected, there's no regulation. You say, well, they are regulated. No, they aren't. 
They're not audited, no, not inspected, not examined by the SEC or FINRA. There's no licensure. There's no FDIC insurance. There's no cybersecurity <laughs> requirements. All of that means something because you become, when, when you lose your money in crypto, you aren't, it's not like me losing my money. Suppose I, were, I had a thousand shares of Microsoft at Robinhood and Robinhood went under. I'd still own my thousand shares of Microsoft. Well, not so in crypto. You're instead just an unsecured creditor waiting in line, desperate, desperate for help. And there's no one there to help you. Uh, I, I want to get other thoughts lawyered in Carlo. I'm not going to go to Tiger yet because I know what Tiger you're going to say. We need to balance it out. Uh, Carlo, what are your thoughts on this? We'll go to lawyer than Tiger. Yeah, good morning, Mario. And good morning, John. I, you know, look, I can't disagree with a lot of what you're saying, having been on the other side of this and defended criminal cases for over 25 years. But my question for you is this. Isn't this just the natural iteration and the natural evolution of any new nascent technology? If we look back at the red flags, as you described them, we saw the similar red flags in the stock market in its infancy, and that caused the securities laws to come into effect in 1933 and 1934. We saw after the Great Recession that Dodd-Frank alleviated a lot of the red flags that were seen with respect to the way the financial sector handled things. So I don't think there's any denying that this technology is going to continue to evolve. And I'm, I agree with you, we're going to see more criminal prosecutions because I talk with the agents who are on the ground uh, doing these cases, and I, I, I see the volume of work they're doing. They're overwhelmed. But I don't think that that means that all of this is essentially a bad risk. I think this is collateral damage in the evolution of this technology. And I've often wanted to pose this question to you because, as I stated yesterday, there is no denying that every aspect of our life is going digital. Why would money be the exception, John? I would love to get your thoughts on this genuinely. Oh, absolutely. And, and those are all excellent points. I think that's a good recitation of history. And um, if, if anybody on this call needs a defense lawyer in this circumstance, they should obviously hire you, given your experience and given your perspective. Uh, I respect that a lot. I guess I, I would respond with two things. Number one, I would say we already have digital money with Zelle, with Cash App, with, with Venmo, with PayPal, with credit cards. Those are, those are the solutions that the problems of crypto present. So that's number one. And number two, I would say, where is the utility? And this is what I was talking about on CNBC. Where is the utility here? It's all for either speculation and it's become, you know, this this notion of it's uh, of this predatory inclusion that there's it's going to um, make things better for the unbanked and it's going to solve issues of financial inclusion. Those ideas, there's not a shred of evidence to support any of those ideas. It's just a typical affinity fraud. If you look at a study done by uh, Carmona Tanonson at the Brookings Institution. She goes into detail about how that's absolutely wrong, that people of color are suffering because of crypto, not being helped. And then you look at uh, Michelle Singletary, who's a legendary financial journalist here um, in, the, in Washington, D.C., maybe 30 years she's been writing, and she looked at all the studies and wrote a scathing article about crypto, how it doesn't, she's an African-American writer, how it doesn't help African-Americans. So this idea that it's, wonderful for 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 some has some utility it's anathema to me i i look at the criminals who use the the pseudonymity of crypto to orchestrate devastating crimes especially ransomware i'm a ransomware expert drug dealing human sex trafficking when you read zeke Faw's book about how tether is used 
to enslave people, sanctions evasion, and of course, terrorist financing. And don't tell me crypto is traceable. I'm meeting with the FBI tomorrow. And, and that is, I've written a, a lengthy treatise on the idea of crypto traceability. It is not traceable. In 2022, there were reported to FinCEN, I think, 1,256 ransomware attacks, collecting $1.3 billion in ransomware payments. Not a penny of that has been recovered, and no one who's orchestrated that scheme, those schemes have ever been caught. So I look at things like just the real facts of what this crypto has done, and then I weigh it against, you could say, oh, but fiat's the same, or oh, the internet's the same. People use the internet for fraud. People use the cloud for fraud. People use fiat for fraud. Well, that's sort of whataboutism. It just doesn't work with me because when I look at those particular technologies like the internet, you know, I was chief of the Office of Internet Enforcement for 11 years. I was an internet evangelist. I talked about how incredible the technology was on the same days that we were prosecuting people left and right, all with joint parallel criminal prosecutions. So I, I get it, but I just don't see the utility. I see the utility of fiat. I see the utility of the cloud, of the internet, but I don't see it with crypto other than speculation and use for crime. Michael, Michael, jump in. This is a perfect time for you to speak. Yeah, I mean, John seems to be warped in his own thoughts, but if you just look at what's happening in the market, I mean, take a look at what Ripple's doing. Ripple has customers directly using XRP to move over 10 to $15 billion through XRP, the digital asset, for cross-border payments every single year. This is real-world utility of cryptocurrencies that John doesn't seem seems to think exists. It's important to point that out because these customers, yeah, I mean, just look at these customers are using these products because they are helpful. This is real-world adoption and real-world utility. And if you just ignore that, it's easy to make John's argument. But when you actually look what's happening with the customers, right, these are customers who are adopting the technology because it's more efficient than the normal rails they're using. You can look at the savings these customers are getting. There are plenty of reports from Ripple's customers on how Ripple's rails are more efficient because of the use of XRP. And this is the early days of this adoption. And to ignore this and say there's no utility, I think is just ignoring the facts. So, John, this is just one example. Ryan, any other good examples for John um, for utility? And uh, John, I'd love to get your thoughts. Like, it, it, look, even without Absolutely. these examples, because I don't want to, I don't want to debate each one of them. John, if there isn't utility, why is crypto even here? It's gone through time and time again. Yet VCs are still flocking in, and adoption is just going up. So, if there's no utility, the market would dictate that. I don't agree with that. I don't think VCs are still flocking in. You know, I think they've moved on. I think there's plenty of empirical evidence to show that. And if I, if I'm, when I read the concern.tech letter, you know, and, and I hope everyone on this call has read it. You can find it concern.tech from all of the, the most, uh, some of the most important technologists in the world talking about how blockchain is a failure, talking about how um, crypto is just, again, mostly used for crime and nothing else. Now, there are ways you might want to maybe do something with your back office. But to me, when I do the research on XRP and Ripple and otherwise, and I've studied those cases very, very carefully, I look at it like most people are buying it because it's an investment. That's why they're so so fanatical about it. Who cares about but whether it's not what the data or not says. if it's being used? The data that's, is that's that I gave you through says. one product, John. It's that is, $15 what, billion dollars moved for utility. XRP if, is a bridge if, asset. And I'm not doing you, this to say XRP is so great. You're saying it has zero utility, but Ripple's customers are saying it does. 
So how do you say, or you think these customers are just using it for fun, using it to use money, lose money? Of course not. I'm saying They're using the, primary, the product because it's helpful. Just like people buy NFTs, they buy crypto because they want the price to go up. And that's what bothers the SEC so much. If you want to use crypto for other things, you know, have at it. I mean, I listen to the earnings calls of Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Oracle. And I've studied those companies to see what they're doing with blockchain. And none of them are doing anything. It's a, it's a glorified, append-only, limited writer. But you're dodging spreadsheet. my question. I'm, no, I'm specifically not. I'm giving not. you a product where XRP you, is not used for speculation. I, and I'm, I'm it's directly used as a bridge asset. But that's how the product okay. works. I'm and disagreeing. And $15 billion dollars moved across those rails okay. yearly. I, I'm disagreeing with your analysis. I'm not dodging your question. Okay. I'm disagreeing with your analysis. If you just look, all I have to do is mention XRP or Ripple in a Twitter post, and I'll get 10,000 people screaming and yelling at me. Why would they care? Why would you care if, if Ripple or XRP was a security or not if you were using it for your back office to move money? Because it doesn't, the point is, And when the SEC looks at this, it's, it's sort of like we were talking about before. The 29 crash happened, and we set up a bunch of regulations in the U.S., the 33 Act with respect to offerings, the 34 Act with respect to intermediaries relating to offerings, the 40 Act with respect to mutual funds and investment advisors, and just started regulating all those players because in this kind of situation, there's too much room for grift, too much room for chicanery. And if, if Tether, John, if, if Tether, before going to Tiger and Lawyer, if Tether gets an audit, would you would you put to bed any fear that you have around their uh, their reserves? Uh, I, I don't know, but you know that that's a great question. It's a very fair question because, again, I don't think it's that challenging for a multi-billion-dollar company to engage a top accounting firm and get a real audit. I, I don't think it's. Do you that think? Do you think the issue? But but isn't it challenging for crypto businesses? We've seen audits uh, uh, walk away from some cop. I, I I'm not going to name them because I can't remember who they were. But some of the top companies in the industry had auditors revoke their audit and yes. walk away or refuse to work with them. Yes, because you see, part of an audit, Mario, is exactly that. You have to open your doors, just like when I when I want to borrow money from the bank based on a mortgage to my house. I have to let the appraiser in and I have to let them see every aspect of my house. The same goes for an audit, and no crypto company wants to do that. They're just we're going, we're going, John. Like, why doesn't Coinbase we're, just register? You we're know, going through the. the, the I'm going through that same pain. The thing is that I know what we did. I know we did everything above board, but the, the, the just I'm, I'm not in the finance team. But I, when I talk to them, like Mario, it's like they want to understand every single transaction. They want to understand oh, yeah. custody. They want to understand. They want to understand every single thing we've done. It's like I send ten dollars there, or or you sell a token right. there, or buy a token. They want to understand it, understand what that token is, and and then try to figure out how to value it. And so, is it a, a tether problem or is it a crypto problem? No, it's, you know, look, nobody wants to undergo the kind of financial colonoscopy that SEC registration requires or an audit requires. Nobody wants to do that, you know, but that's what the law requires because in the, in, in the, it has been incredibly successful, at least in the U.S., that those kind of audits and that kind of regulation has made the markets very safe and, and have thrived and made a lot of people very wealthy. So, You know, I, I can appreciate why a company wouldn't want that kind of scrutiny. Look at Coinbase. 
this is an incredibly wealthy company. Why don't they just register? And don't tell me, well, they came in and they tried. Look, there are a million lawyers out there, many of whom I know who would be more than happy to get them through the registration process. But you know what that would require? Licensure with FINRA, audits from the SEC, four cause audits. Remember, when I was chief of the Office of Internet Enforcement at the SEC, and as I mentioned, it was for 11 years, I had five people from the Division of Examinations that I recruited to come work in our group. And that wasn't, you know, by accident. It was because whenever a regulated entity was involved in one of the investigations that our team was conducting, I would immediately tell those guys to liaison with the Division of Examinations and send a team over there to find out exactly what was going on. With banking regulators, it's even, it's even more so. If you look at a big bank in the U.S., they've got members of the Fed, members of the FDIC, members of, of the Comptroller of the Currency actually sitting in offices at their company 24-7. I like that. I like that trust. I like, you know, this idea of disintermediation or decentralized finance, which you know, it's, it's quite hypocritical if you look at everybody's excited about this Bitcoin spot ETF or what happened to decentralization. But putting that aside, the idea of a centralized entity is a good thing for consumers. They like the fact that when their credit card is used by somebody else, you can just dispute that. When there's a problem at your bank, you can talk to someone. There's a compliance team. There's infrastructure. There's record keeping requirements. Every single person has to be licensed, has to pass exams. So it's incredible. It's an incredible burden. In many ways, I would say it's too burdensome, but that's not the issue here. The issue is that none of these crypto companies want to subject themselves to that, and who can blame them? Yeah, I want to ask David and Lloyd, is there a different way of looking at the, the fact that Tether doesn't have an audit? Should we be less concerned than John's making it out to be that they have an attestation rather than an audit? I mean, David Lloyd? Yeah, I mean, not to me, right? So I think if it's an intellectually honest conversation, would look at all the reasons why maybe maybe there isn't one and what and, and like the, the question that um, you asked, I think is very important. Like, what would that change if we saw an audit? You know, because at first I was just kind of bored by this because it was really like, oh, let's talk about something we've talked about <clears throat> a thousand times. You know, here are the things that might be wrong with Tether, but let's not talk about why it's not the best, why it may or may not be the best one out there. Um, but then when the conversation sort of shifts to, oh, and, you know, all crypto is bad, then it's like, well, I see why we're doing this. And it's just not, I find it like not that helpful. Like I'm, I'm happy to have the conversation. I just don't know that, you know, demanding an audit from, from Tether is actually going to change anything with respect to the conversation. You know, the, if we're looking into I whether think, or not there's risk there, you know, it, it, that's important. You think an audit, like David, do you agree like an audit wouldn't change things uh, rather than an attestation? No, I do think an audit would change things because there are requirements. There are, you know, accounting requirements. There's everything. Um, I do think that, you know, and I see Bifinex is in the audience. You know, I have loved everything he's done over the last 10 years. But, you know, at this point, dear God, if they are not fully... you know, audited and the lawsuit in New York goes differently. Like, I just can't imagine that they've had this much attention. Look, a couple of years ago, we found out it wasn't one-to-one backed and they changed. But this goes to my whole belief. And, you know, what John was just saying about Coinbase, you know, Coinbase circa, you know, 2018 is very different than they are today. Um, it's very important that I do believe whatever Tether was, and I say this about Binance all the time, when people ask me about it, is Binance going to go down? What Binance was several years ago, Binance isn't today, I hope. And I think it's important with Tether. 
I do think that Tether can provide more information, but at the moment, it would be shocking to all of us if Tether was a run by fly by night Ponzi scheme. And I don't think that they have provided significantly more information. The lawsuits that have been going on for years. There has been more discovery. I do think that the prosecutors would have come out with more vitriol if there was more bad information to come out that we haven't seen so far. Now, does that mean an audit isn't, isn't better? No, an audit is better than attestation. We should get an audit if it's a stable coin. But I think most of us are concerned only about whether or not they would survive something like a run on the bank or something, you know, and we, and as time goes on, those of us participating see and are convinced more that they're the best option out there, the safest one, or, or maybe they aren't. And there can be, maybe there are arguments about that, but, you know, just to say that, like, when you tell people not to use Tether, you, you, you they use something else, right? It's not like they just leave crypto and go to fiat. So if you're going to have that argument and that discussion, I think you need to have you know, if it is the best option, and that's your opinion, you should say that. And if it's not, I think it helps to sort of direct people to something better. And maybe that's Bitcoin. Maybe there is no good stable coin. But that's the kind of conversation. You know, I, and, this goes back, and this goes back to, I don't think that anyone, almost anyone that's even near, let's call them, let's say Goldman Sachs is 90% legitimate. Nobody can survive a 100% run on the bank. Tether could not survive a 100% run on the bank. There's just nobody. Tether has I, more I chance than reason. the banks. Of, so, whoa, 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 Holland, Tether has more chance than the banks to survive a run on the bank. That I can tell you for if sure. The Fed, if the Fed wasn't could there. I, could I chime in no, on no, the, the bank the, 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 the banks argument. are openly insolvent. Could I chime in on the banks? Well, are Rand, openly but, but insolvent. Moran, you Excuse agree me? in the history, you guys have wait, Rand, all, in the history of the world. Long. There's never, wait, Hans, just, Rand, you agree in the history of the FDIC. No bank has ever collapsed where the depositors lost the insurance. So, of course, that, isn't that American capitalism? Isn't that how it works? Rand, can I chime Rand. in on the bank run argument because it's a stupid argument? Yeah. There's never going to be a bank run on Tether because most USDT holders have no intention of redeeming. So this is even if there was, even if there was, even if there was, Tether is over collateralized if they're right. Number two, their the T-bills are all short-dated, according to their report. They, right now, if you ask me, I would rather be in Tether than most of the American commercial okay. banks if you, if you remove the FDIC insurance. Yes, of course, if you, remove, if you put in big daddy government to just print money in the land, of, uh, the land of the free, the land of capitalism, the land of, uh, of capitalism. It's a very strange kind of capitalism that you have in the United States. Where um, w w when the going is bad, the government just steps in and, 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 and fixes everything and takes everything over. I mean, it's a very strange kind of capitalism. Um, uh, it, it, it's more like a nanny state. But anyway, regardless, of, this is not a rant session anyway, around, around the United States. Just, right now, could, Tether is more I just respond to a single, few things, please? please. It, Tether is more commercial, more um, uh, uh, solvent than any commercial bank that I know in the United States. Now over to you. Okay. So on, on the Alameda stuff, like I've, I've heard arguments about arbitrage, right? But like there were fucking awful traders, okay? So like I don't buy that argument for one second. Um, I would love to see the wire confirmations for Alameda sending Tether 36 billion US dollars to back the 36 billion USDT. I'd love to see it. So I don't, I don't buy the arbitrage argument for one second. Okay. I know, I know traders that jump crypto and they told me exactly how this shit works, that they don't send 
They don't send the dollars in full. Okay, they send a percentage, they get massive discounts, and they send the vast majority of, I guess, whether you want to call it crypto or, or dollars in crypto. Okay, so they're mostly sending Bitcoin as collateral to back the tethers. And a lot of it is corporate IOUs as well. All right. And I just, like, I just think that you need to think about this logically. Uh, because there's no way Alameda sent 36 billion US dollars. I'm sorry. And they did not arbitrage. Um, I don't I don't I don't have that argument for one second. And I think what is not discussed often, okay, and I think will become more important as these new stablecoin bills evolve, is that well, I mean, number one, these stablecoin bills are basically aimed at tether. Right. Like they're an attack on Tether's quote unquote business model. Right. They require fast fiat redemptions, which you can't get with Tether, by the way. It's sort of why a lot of particularly offshore crypto firms, exchanges, whatever, have used USDC as an off ramp. Right. And that's why their market cap has imploded this year. Even just the other day, you know, there was one hundred and sixty six or one hundred and fifty six. I don't remember. Um million in uh, USDT issued on Ethereum and another 100, about like almost the exact same amount was redeemed <laughs> or or burned uh, from USDC on AVAX and Ethereum. So like you're seeing this USDC as an off-ramp avenue because you cannot get mass amounts of dollars out of Tether because candidly, they rely on three tiny, tiny banks in the Bahamas with tiny, tiny balance sheets that cannot handle a company the size of Tether, right? I mean, they're new. So, but why, Tiger, question on this one. Why do you think they're using those three banks? Is it, again, is well, it a crypto problem or is it a Tether problem? I th well, okay. So here's the thing too, is like, I know everyone thinks it's a crypto problem. Yeah, there are problems within crypto, but a lot of the problems in crypto are not like, quote unquote, crypto related. They are traditional finance related. Like this whole problem with Tether is not a quote unquote crypto problem. OK, it's a liquidity risk problem. It's a counterparty risk problem. It's a key man risk problem. These are all traditional finance problems. These aren't crypto problems. OK, Tether, for the most part, is a traditional finance company. They're a quasi money market fund, quasi alternative asset manager. They're not a crypto company. They have a they have they have USDT, which is a token. But the 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 standard operations of Tether are very akin to traditional finance companies. OK, yeah, but banks so, don't see it the same. If you try and get a bank account. It's, it's virtually impossible for a company like Tether. That's just simply, that's, well, that's why not, is that's that not the then, case. Though? Well, why is that? I mean, listen, you, you, I mean, listen, you know this, Simon, okay? Tether was created because they couldn't get a bank account, okay? So but if they Tether, can't get... Tether had, a, Tether had a bank account, and it was created so that you could get it from one exchange to another. Um, and they lost their banking, which led to a cycle of... Um, stuff that they had to deal with from there, but Tether. But hold on. The reason why they lost their banking partner, <laughs> the, the reason why they lost their banking partner is because the U.S. 
has pretty much made it radioactive for most banks to deal with anything to do with crypto. I mean, you, you don't want to be you don't want to be a bank banking tether in you know related or connected to anything to do with the United States. Well, there was also, I mean, okay, so they did actually get bank accounts, but they got bank accounts fraudulently through Signature Bank by faking no, they, they started companies with the, and faking the Taiwanese, Come on, the Taiwanese banks. They started off with the Taiwanese banks. Then they had the issue with the Puerto Rican banks. Um, they had this hot potato because they essentially became the bank account for all crypto to crypto exchanges, and they grew so fast. And they went from only having about $5 million and trying to persuade every single exchange that stablecoins are a good idea to companies like Binance becoming huge because they were able to use Tether without having to deal with their banking relationships. And then that led to a bunch of relationships that they lost. And then, you know, um, as they got bigger and bigger and bigger, um, they lost these relationships and they had to find others. So even though you, you talk about small banks in Bahamas, and by the way, this is not me, Tether is just a different kind of risk. USDC has its own risk. Other stable coins have its own risk. Um, but, but using a bank trust in Bahamas is a different type of risk to using a fractional reserve bank with deep leverage in the US. They're different types of risk. One is a trust bank where they don't leverage and they don't have the same kind of fractional reserve risk and attack that a, a geopolitical party like China could do to try and take down their banking system. Well, and another has, you know, the backing of the the greater the, the largest government. And as soon as people stop buying those treasuries, then it introduces another type of risk. But a trust bank means that you're you're not taking the same kind of risk and leverage of a US bank. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying they're different risks to manage. Well, okay. So I've also heard like you can use another stable coin if you don't like this one. Well, like n not really. <laughs> okay, like seventy percent of the trading pairs in the market are based on USDT, right? Like you can't really use another stable coin. Yeah, it's like um, it's like saying I'm not. But as a, it's a very important point. I just want to point that out. This is an important point. Like when when it's like when FTX collapsed, we're like, hey, it's okay. You know, you don't have. You're worried about Binance. You don't have to use Binance. But then who's left? Yeah, but also like you know, I you guys say, oh, they're out of the jurisdiction of the United States. Well, you know, forty, I think it's like forty-five percent of their market cap uh, is actually overseen by Kenneth Fitzgerald. They have thirty-nine billion in U.S. Treasury supposedly being overseen by Kenneth Fitzgerald, which is not too far from the SDNY downtown New York City. I actually don't live too far from Kenneth Fitzgerald's offices. Okay. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying you guys say it's not in U.S. jurisdiction. Well, you know, assets could be very easily seized if they it, wanted it, to. It is in U.S. jurisdiction. It's a registered money service business in the U.S. and has to comply with FinCEN's requirements. Well, I don't. I, okay. I don't know if they comply with FinCEN's requirements, but well, they have to uh, because they're a registered money, money service. service business that's and, by and state. So, that's by state. The money transmission, and then it's just because you're registered so, with okay. FinCEN doesn't mean you're subject to examinations by anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's a different type of thing, but they have to with, comply with all the money laundering requirements. But who's to say um, they are? I don't think they FinCEN. comply with that. I'm, I, I really don't. But all right. 
Well, on the, the, uh, on the enforcement uh, issue, if the US want to enforce it, they can enforce it because they're registered with FinCEN. No. On the, registration on with the, FinCEN on the pairs. A, wait a minute. Registration with FinCEN is filling out a form and submitting it so that you can access the suspicious activity report suspicious activity report terminal. So anybody who says, hey, they're registered with FinCEN, it doesn't mean anything remotely close to being registered with the SEC. And remember, the FDIC, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and the Federal Reserve have all published very explicit, very formidable, very, very ominous warnings to any financial institution in the U.S. that does business having anything to do with crypto, with stable coins or otherwise, to the point where they have to first ask permission to do that. And the reason why the banking agencies are doing that is because they fear systemic risk. It's not of any political pressure. It's not because they don't understand innovation. It's because they fear systemic risk. And thank goodness they're doing that as far as I'm concerned. And that should be a red flag again to everyone. If all the banking regulators say you, 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 you're as a business, you shouldn't be associated with any of this. And then you look at what's coming in 2024 with, you know, if you walk down 47th street and use crypto to buy a Rolex, then that business is going to have to report that. And with respect to the exchanges, all the exchanges are going to have to report any transactions having to do with crypto, just like, you know, your traditional brokerage firms do that. I mean, why doesn't anybody cheat on their taxes with respect to capital gains of stocks? Because they know that those forms go to the IRS and the same thing is going to happen in crypto. So there's a reason. There's a reason why all the John Doe lawsuits that the Department of Justice has filed, where they literally just go to an exchange and they say, we've looked at the data analytics of the amount of taxes paid and the amount of transactions that you say you have undertaken on behalf of people. We see an anomaly. So we believe that people aren't paying their taxes. So we're sending a John Doe subpoena, meaning a subpoena to an entity like Coinbase or Binance US or anyone saying, give me all the accounts from everyone who traded in the last five years. So the onslaught is continuing and is fairly robust. And I think that there's meaning behind all that. No one's doing that because they're anti-innovation yeah, or they don't like crypto or they don't like anyone on this call. They're doing it because of systemic risk and the threat to investors. Yeah, John, 100%. The, uh, no, no, if, if I could comment on that, 100% is about systemic risk. Because you know what the biggest risk to fractional reserve banking is? Full reserve banking. So having a stable coin that's actually backed by the assets and is not leveraged over um, is a massive risk to those that are leveraging and taking excessive risk with client deposits, um, which is fractional reserve banking. It's why you have to have that massive onslaught of stress tests and all that type of thing, because just backing a stable coin um, by assets um, is, is significantly lower risk um, than, than leveraging up your, uh, your bank deposits. Yeah, just, a yeah, just a quick question for John. John, if there was a reputable institution in the United States to adopt a cryptocurrency protocol for utility purposes, would that change your perspective that there is utility in the ecosystem and that cryptocurrency public blockchain does have use case or that not change your perspective? You know, I, that's a great question. And it's a completely fair question. If the technology were to evolve that it had utility, 
and and that utility could somehow be proven and people weren't investing in it, then I say, have at it, go do whatever you want to do. If Goldman Sachs wants to use a private blockchain to run their back office, go ahead and do it. You know, if somebody wants to use their NFT as the, the picture for their Instagram account, go ahead and do it. You know, but when it comes to the investment side, then you cre you're creating extraordinary systemic risk. You're creating extraordinary investor risk. And that's why the SEC acts. The, I don't think the SEC is concerned. And remember, the SEC is 99.9% not political. Just about every person who works there is not any kind of political appointee. It's just looking. So if you want to prove the utility to me, you know, you can find, I, I wrote a, an article, a very extensive one, I think it's like 15,000 words, okay, about blockchain and Goldman Sachs and all the different projects, blockchain projects that have failed. And, you know, as I said, one of my friends from a very big uh, a technology company, one of the biggest in the world, just said something very simple to me, John, it's a spreadsheet. Stop acting like it's so innovative. We've had spreadsheets forever. So we can disagree on that. And you might be able to tell me, hey, there's going to be some great utility. Of course, you know, Molly White wrote this great article saying it's it's not still the early days. And, and Anthony Scaramucci, again, my close friend of 50 years, comes back and goes, John, you don't know what you're talking about. When the internet first came around, nobody knew what it was going to do, and it took forever for things to really materialize. So I get that. And, and the, the big thing I would say is lots of crypto investors, lots of blockchain true believers, they're exactly that. They're true believers. They want to do the right thing. They think this innovation is going to make the world a better place. And I respect that. I, I just don't agree with it, with their, their factual assumption along those lines. Well, John, would you would you agree that a piece of technology um, that uh, is backed by now, granted, if you could get the audit requirement and the attestation requirement people are looking for, and you could prove that this was backed by these assets, it is a significantly lower risk profile than the U a, a, a traditional U.S. bank that relies upon leveraging up people's assets, sending it to an investment bank, using collateralized debt obligations in order to slice and dice credit de and insure it by credit default swaps, because you're over leveraging and relying upon the credit risk assessment of the bank to determine how much real estate people should borrow, which then gets put into um, hedge funds and then gets you know, sliced and diced into a million times over and leveraged up. That's risky. Um, Stablecoins is, is simply full reserve banking where you have transparency, um, or in theory, you have transparency, if we can get that right, over the assets that are backing it so that you can know, you can understand the risk. We understood the risks with USDC as soon as we entered into the risk that was, you know, the, the, the risk of Silicon Valley Bank that was caused by this, this very same issue of the risks that are created in the US banking system through fractional reserve. This, this is a movement towards full reserve banking. That's a better product. I, you know, I, I, let me take the first part of your argument on. First of all, I, I completely agree that traditional finance has all kinds of problems. You know, I, I was at the SEC during 2009. I was at the SEC during the dot-com crash. I was at the SEC when Madoff happened. You know, these are bad things. I would argue that they're aberrations, that for the most part, the banks function very well. Like David said, 
you know, ultimately people get their money back. People have a lot of confidence in the system. Uh, I, I can't tell you all the risks associated with fractionalized banking. I can tell you that, that there are a lot of problems that I would find in traditional finance related to the way hedge funds do business with the way that related to the way that banks operate. I, I see all kinds of injustices and problems. I don't see private money as a solution to any of that. And I, I so, I, I just don't see that as solving those problems. I, I appreciate the libertarian notion that, hey, when I do financial transactions, I'd rather the government not know. You know, I'm a big First Amendment guy. I'm a big Fifth Amendment guy. I'm a huge Second Amendment guy. I don't trust the government. If you read most of the articles- They know everything. Written, you're onboarding and offboarding through an exchange, and then you're creating an immutable record of every transaction. And you know the backing of what is behind that so that you can analyze the risk and actually know, because here's the biggest problem with banking. People have no freaking idea of the credit risk that they're taking. They have no idea of what's actually behind it. But with stable coins, you get to actually know that. Um, and it's a, signif it's a significant improvement. But wait, I, Simon, I, wait, Simon, I, let me, John, let me jump in first. Go, go ahead. ahead. Just, go ahead. Let's, sure. use, let's, use, let's use the signature bank failure where one of the largest accounts was Circle and backing USDC. God That's a forbid. fractional reserve problem. The stablecoin stable you were correct. able to assess and the market in real time was able to depeg and adjust the price based upon knowing how much was at risk with the fractional reserve bank that was just like imposing. Just like it did with Terra? Just like it did with Terra, Simon? Terra is <laughs> not backed. Terra is not backed by those assets. That's algorithmic. That's a different okay. risk program. Go ahead. Go ahead, David. Go ahead, David. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, just my, my point being, like, you know, let's not forget, like Rand said, you know, the banks weren't protecting, but, you know, USDC and the $3.3 billion back to USDC uh, and Circle, you know, my problem here is we're talking about you know, if everything is believable, and I forgot who said, you know, well, no one's going to make a bank run yet. You know, I, that's not that's not a defense. At the end of the day, what's going to happen here is true transparency. I agree with Simon. True transparency. If this actually worked and was regulated, look, I'm probably more pro government and pro more pro pro more regulation than anyone on the panel right now. But without that, what we've seen so far in crypto is what we've been told is not true. And if we go back to Tether, back early on to 2021, when the investigations were first releasing the documents, it turned out it was like seven. We were always told it was one to one back then. When the documents finally came out, it was like 70 percent back. Look, that's better than fractional banking. I'm not making the but why, argument. Why did Tether. it become 70 percent back, David? Because the government confiscated a bunch of money in a fraudulent bank because they were pushed out to the fringes of using crypto capital and shadow banks because they couldn't get serviced within a normal bank. Well, wait, they, I mean, one of the banks you dropped, one of the banks you dropped off was, was Bell Tech Bank. Drug cartel bank, man. Exactly. They were forced into shadow banking so, because they lost their traditional <laughs> class A banking. Wait, wait, let me talk about this for a minute. You know, when it comes to banking, here's the deal in the United States. You have the USA Patriot Act, you have the Bank Secrecy Act, you have about 13 different statutes that relate to anti-money laundering. And all of those statutes essentially say that when it comes to financial transactions, you do not have a right to privacy. Meaning at the SEC, I can find out what your transactions are. At the U.S. Attorney's Office, at the DOJ, I can use search warrants. I can use um, grand jury requests. I can even use just simple requests. Like at the SEC, you don't even need a subpoena to get your brokerage information. 
You can do it by voluntary request. The regulated entity has to provide it. So you might not like all of those things and you might want to debate me on those. And I think that's a lively debate because I don't like all those things either. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't like terrorism. And what has happened in terms of terrorism is this idea, they talk about Operation Chokehold. Well, that's a legitimate operation. You're trying to stop the financing of terrorism. And the way that you do that is by monitoring financial transactions. So creating yeah, this idea of private money, it just completely is it's, John, it's anathema it's not, to all of that. John, it's not private money. Right. You put your money at a bank. Are you required to know whether your bank is committing money laundering with the bank deposits? Or do you rely upon the bank in order to have a robust AML program? So both of the problems you just explained. So David said, look at what happened with USDC. USDC was perfect market efficiency that priced in a DPEG based upon the risk of fractional reserve banking, knowing that $3 billion was on the line in Silicon Valley Bank, which was a banking failure, a regulated financial institution failure. The second one you talked about was crypto capital. Crypto capital was the bank that was committing money laundering, and therefore the funds got seized and it lost its one-to-one -one backing. So that's a failure in the traditional regulated system because they were meant to comply with all those things. I'm not saying don't comply with them. Anti-money laundering is a fact of life and Everyone that runs a financial institution has to have very robust AML programs. And one by one, we're, we're entering into a world where you're lucky if you can withdraw your money from a bank. But at least with I, a, I just with don't a, see it that way, Simon. I think that most people are very, very secure in their banking. Everyone gets paid back if there's a problem. And the reality is that when it Until comes you to compliance procedures, well, yeah, that's true. That's true, Simon. And, and, I, and I get it. You know, that's a fear. And, you know, there are only so many options for what you can do with your money, whether you want to put it under your mattress or whether you want to put it with a bank or whether you want to diversify, whether you want to use it for real estate. I get it. But I just don't. I look at these compliance systems. Well, I look at these compliance systems as critical. And so do you. But entities like Tether and entities like Binance and entities like Coinbase, they don't have those compliance systems. You say they do, but I have no way of knowing that. Until I know, an I'm not, SEC I'm not team of examiners. Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a different topic. We were just talking but, about. But what I'm saying is, without those well, without those protections, people are worse off than what they could with a bank. And I find it so funny and again hypocritical that you talk about BlackRock and you talk about Grayscale and these these big companies doing this Bitcoin spot ETF when the whole theory behind uh, crypto and Bitcoin was decentralization. And you're just trading one set of very trusted participants with another set of less trusted ones. And I don't understand how the consumer or the customer is benefiting at all. The idea is that, well, this crypto can go up. Who knows? Who knows about any of this trading information, any of this trading data? Who knows about any of it? When you look at something like Safe Moon, 95% of it was washed trades. Talking like 35 trillion of trading between back and forth between yourself. So when you have that sort of fraud, that sort of chicanery, that sort of grift going on in plain view, then I just find it amazing that anyone would want to bet on so, this other than as a gambling proposition. Hey, I think the scam artists are really good, so I'm going to bet on them. And I get no, that. All, all of those, like all of those are being, all of those are being, you know, we have a global virtual, virtual asset service provider regime being implemented by Financial Action Task Force. 
Our, our industry did all sorts of criminal activities, dodgy activities, all sorts of scams and frauds. Um, but now a lot of traditional financial institutions are looking to get involved. Regulators have decided to catch up. They said, this is not something we can ignore anymore. Um, and so they're putting in those regulations. And if you don't follow those regulations as a financial institution, then you go, you get fined, you go to prison or you fix your issue. And so, yeah, we have to fix these issues of, of the past. There's no, there's no doubt about that. For but, what? For what? What are you fixing them all so that you feel like this is going to create a better banking system for the world? A hundred percent. Full reserve banking. Full reserve banking, where you know exactly what backs your digital dollar, and you take the bank out of the middle, and you can go direct from government treasuries to stable coins that moves and creates an immutable record there, of there your transactions. Not, okay, there's not a single crypto-related financial institution that could withstand the kind of scrutiny to give you that kind of guarantee. Full well, stop. no, if you're, if you're backing a stable coin by treasuries, you have taken the bank out of the middle and you have full transparency um, to the, you know, to the, to the, to the limitations of an the, audit. The, the transparency isn't possible because they're never willing to give it. Okay, what about PayPal? What, what's the issue with P, PYUSD? Well, there's lots of issues with it. The first thing is that at least with PayPal, if you have a transaction with PayPal, just like with Robinhood, you can go buy your Bitcoin on Robinhood. You know, and, and my good friend Dan Gallagher, who was a commissioner at the SEC, is their general counsel. And you'll at least have a mechanism for some sort of remediation of any problem that you would have. So I see that as better, but I don't see it as as any kind of a, I don't understand how you can invest in something that has no you balance have, sheet, no taken... assets, no cash flow, no nothing. I'm a traditional investor. I like to look at something substantive, not a bunch of mathematical so computation. These, these are a lot of different issues. So firstly, there was, is a stable coin an improvement over a bank deposit. And I would say being able to take your PayPal balance and be able to clear it on the Ethereum blockchain is a significant improvement from the clunky, shitty Swift blockchain where you have to prove, you know, you, you uh, it's a significant improvement. And I, don't, I don't see a problem. Simon and John, and stable coins aside, I mean, the, the big institutions, and John, you said you would have no problem with private blockchains, and I'm right. certainly not cheering for them. But I mean, JP Morgan created Onyx and is moving money, money market accounts between BlackRock and Barclays. So clearly, if we're just speaking technologically, there are some people you probably trust who do believe that technologically this would be an improvement on speed, uh, cost, and well, obviously the ability to collateralize those things. Also I, immutable I records. wrote a lengthy article, correct. And the, and, yeah. you, I you wrote have a, a lengthy article refuting that. I mean, I agree that the a private blockchain, again, if you want to do it, have at it. You want to drive from D.C. to New York with square tires, have at it. But, but the public again, blockchain is the improvement. I just don't see it. I see most of the blockchain projects as failing. I see most, I see all these giant companies. If this was such a magnificent transformative technology, uh, why isn't the greatest database company in the world, Oracle, why aren't they talking about it and doing something every day? Why haven't they they dedicated huge resources to it? You talk to anyone at Microsoft, for example, and they'll say nobody's doing anything with respect to blockchain. Now, remember, with the Internet, Bill Gates got on David Letterman. I was there and I watched him and he said every single thing we do should touch upon the Internet. 
No one is saying that with respect to blockchain. Nobody cares about blockchain anymore. No, there's no, there's no venture capital money going into it. It's old. It's tired. It's done. It's not even worth the, the argument because honestly, like I don't give a shit about JP Morgan. I'm not cheering for them to utilize private blockchains or anything. But like making the argument like <laughs> that that these companies are not necessarily using it. It's like making the argument that why didn't Sears like use the internet? Why didn't uh, why didn't Blockbuster see streaming coming? Because not everybody remains number one forever, and it's just a completely they all don't get about it. They all just don't get it. I'm not even Microsoft saying, I'm and not even Google. They just don't get it. John, just, I need to be able to protect myself from the bank from your banks in the U.S. I can own my own Bitcoin. For me to be able to transact, no matter how many bombs you throw across the world, um, for me to be able to protect myself from your excessive money printing that is going to have systemic risk on the entire world, to me, Bitcoin is freedom and it creates an immutable record. So if you want a great compromise, rather than hijacking all the financial institutions to do the police work for you because you can't do it, at least you can go from create that immutable record and then just build good systems so that if you want yeah. to commit crime on Bitcoin, create an immutable record. It's your yeah. choice. Seven years I later, you stole it. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's a good, good place. Yeah, Don't be sorry. Good, and it's a good, good place to end it. Yeah, I just think we're conflating a lot of uh, different arguments, right? I mean, I can see uh, the argument about whoa, transparency and banking on the one side, which Simon's fighting very aggressively against. John, I agree with you on a lot of things. The place I lose you is where it's just sort sort of emotionally like this is all worth nothing. There's no utility at all. Like, listen, that that may prove to be the case. Like, you know, I I can't tell the future, but I find it surprising that we would say, "Oh, well, Oracle's not using it; it must be bad." When you have Larry Fink on TV calling crypto flight to quality, and in his yearly investment investment letter talking about the tokenization of all the assets, and you see. Even with Jamie Jamie Dimon being one of the most dismissive people of crypto in the world, you see what JP Morgan's doing. Watch what they do, not what they say. Creating Onyx, JP Morgan coin. And listen, once again, like I'm going to get, uh, you know, people are going to cut this up and say Scott's cheering for JP Morgan and, and BlackRock, and like fuck them, I don't care. The the point is, you it, it's really hard to make the argument that uh, this is worth nothing when you have now the largest institutions in the world actually whether listen whether they don't even believe in it and they're just taking a look just in case they're still spending resources and money to do so. Franklin Templeton massively in this space. Fidelity's been in this space since two thousand fifteen. Once again, not even cheering the institutions here, just making the point that you can't say it's completely worth nothing, point out one or two institutions that are doing nothing when there are so many who are doing something. I mean, Franklin Templeton has already tokenized $300 million worth of treasury bills, which is now a billion dollar AUM. Tiny, nothing. I get that. But these people are making significant moves to get ahead of what could be the next trend. So to say all of this is worth nothing because it's just for criminals or whatever. I mean, I'm sorry, John. I really enjoy these conversations. But that that just verges on the like uh, angry Elizabeth Warren boomer screaming at the kids to get off his lawn and rap music stinks these days argument. And so I, I think, you know, I think that some of the most important points that people here make are lost in the uh, aggressive emotional side of dismissing it all as worthless. Te- listen, Tether could be a complete fucking house of cards. I have no idea. I, I interview Paolo, many people in this audience who I see here. 
get mad. Scott Melker's interviewed more grifters in this space than any other person. He's shilled literally everyone. If you do 3,000 shows and have 30 guests a week, you're going to interview a lot of people that end up being complete fucking frauds. And that's the reality of the situation. And yeah, it sucks that that happens. They get past the filter. But the reality is there's a lot of grifters in this space, but it's been cleaned up a hell of a lot. And it's going to only continue to be cleaned up a hell of a lot more in the future. If Tether goes down, something will replace it. And this will continue marching on as it always has. And maybe that will just be everybody coming back to Bitcoin, which could be a great resolution, to be quite frank, if things happen that way. But I just think it's just a little bit aggressive to just dismiss everything and go back. Pretty soon, we're going to be doing spaces, Mario, like in a, in six months, we're going to be doing spaces about how AI is only for frauds and criminals and is boiling the ocean and is a useless technology of the future. You know why? I, I wouldn't. Because I, I, older yeah. people fucking hate new shit. You can rap whenever you want now. Yeah. Okay, man. You want you want your mic drop moment? I'll give it to you, John. I'm one of your no, biggest fans, by the way. Now, I appreciate, I, I appreciate I appreciate you coming on the space, and I think we, we disagree on some points. I, I disagree on I, I can't agree a lot with Scott with what he said here, and I disagree on the fight. Look, the, the tether concerns are very valid, and I think you you digging into it. I agree it. with that actually. I agree with yeah that. yeah. And I think this is a discussion worth having. The utility discussion is is if you know it kind of died a few years ago, uh, but I'm willing to still have it. And and if you turn out to be right, then I give up on humanity. But uh, on that note, we can wrap the space. I think it's a great space, and I appreciate uh, Simon, John, and everyone else, and Tiger, and everyone else jumping on.